This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture lesson this morning is found in Luke chapter 10, starting at verse 17, where we continue the story of that occasion when Jesus sent out an advanced team, a number of advanced teams, to prepare the way for his, his coming. And now they are giving their report. Verse 17 says, The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you on this Sunday morning that we can come before you a holy and a righteous and an all-powerful and all-knowing God. And we can come with our heads held high because of your grace, your mercy, your kindness that has been showered upon us. Lord, we know that we don't deserve it. We have done nothing to merit it. Lord, we know that as the scripture that we have just read reminds us, we only know these things because you and your sovereign will and grace have opened our ears and our eyes so that we could understand and appreciate the magnitude of your love for us. So, Lord, we are truly, truly blessed, as the scripture tells us. And so, Father, with hum humility, humbleness, with meekness, we come before you with great thanksgiving. Lord, you have been uh, so good to us as a church family. Once again, we thank you for uh, your watch care over us, the, the great ministries that are beginning to gear up once again, those Bible studies and prayer times and times of fellowship. We thank you in advance for the, the time of fellowship we're going to have right after our service. And we thank you for the hands that have prepared a, a brunch for us, and we just pray that it would be a wonderful, sweet time. Again, Lord, for those who are hurting and who are struggling, who are going through troubled times, we know that your grace and your mercy and kindness is so evident, and we just pray a special measure 
of that in the days to come. We rejoice with uh, Paula Rishaw that she's been able to uh, come out of the hospital and go to a place where she can, uh, she can get some uh, encouragement and, and strength and, uh, and rehabilitation. So Father, just continue to be with her as you restore her to health. And all of the other fo folks in our church family that you would just demonstrate your goodness and grace to them. And again, Lord, we thank you for the word that is before us. We ask that as Pastor Carr shares um, the thoughts and reflections that you have laid upon his heart, may you give him the very words to share with us, that we would be encouraged and that we would learn, that we would find motivation from your Holy Spirit to be the people you've called us to be. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I don't know about you, but the smell of the things cooking downstairs has me salivating. So uh, if you have your copy of God's Word, I would like you to look there to Luke chapter 10. Um, we are focusing on verses 17 through 24. But as we come to that text, I ask this question. How often does our rejoicing and our celebrating center on the wrong things? How often does our rejoicing and our celebrating center on the wrong things? As a coach, specifically of Little League, there was this uh, kind of impression I think the younger kids had that when they scored a touchdown, they had to do a touchdown dance. And we would constantly have to be telling these little guys that you know, we can get a penalty for that, that's not good. And really, it wasn't focusing on what we wanted to focus on as coaches which was the team rather than the individual. And so often in that, um, that little world of Little League football, we would constantly see penalties and, and different things happen because these little guys would go down there and score a touchdown and their excitement break out into some kind of dance. But the truth is that was mirrored for them by the adults. The adults on television who would score a touchdown and, and would do their own dance and show their own form of celebration about how great they were or what their ability foretold. There was one athlete that uh, specifically stood out to me, and it was the Detroit Lion running back, Barry Sanders. Every time he scored a touchdown, he would just take and hand the football to the ref. What's always amazing to me is that Barry Sanders was probably one of the slickest running backs ever to play the game. He could do, uh, do things in the backfield that would just make your head spin, bounce off of players and spin and do things that just seemed almost superhuman. But in through all of that, he never once danced. He never once celebrated himself. As we come to our text, we see that the 72 that Jesus had sent out, their job was to evangelize, to go and make Jesus known. And as they go, they, they were told that they were going to encounter many things because while the harvest was plentiful, the laborers were few. And they were being sent out as lambs for the slaughter before wolves. Uh, that they weren't to take any money with them or any extra shoes, that ultimately they needed to depend upon God for their protection and His provision. 
lo and behold, when the 72 return, we pick up at verse 17, we read, and the 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. I stress the us because I think that's what they were stressing. They were absolutely astounded that the demons were subject to them. Now they gave credence to the fact that it was in Jesus' name. It was when they preached in Jesus' name, when they taught in Jesus' name, that they got this response. But they were astounded that they were the ones scoring the touchdown. That they were doing their happy dance in the end zone, so to speak. And as we see this occur, these evangelists were amazed by the fact that these powerful spirits would obey them. But Jesus seems to stress that the power is in Him. And notice what Jesus points to all throughout His response to these 72. In verse 18 it said, And He said to them, I saw Satan falling like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and to overcome the powers of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. And notice what Jesus is doing there. He's turning it from us to Him. He's turning the attention of the 72 to say, let's rejoice in the most important thing. It's not that you scored a touchdown. It's that you have Me. It's that your strength and power is found in Me. See, when Jesus is saying to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven in verse 18, what Jesus is saying is that He is the one who has power over the demons. It's because He is the one who brings about the fall of Satan. It's through the crucifixion that was yet to come that they were getting a foreshadow of what would be because of Jesus. And when Jesus reminds them it's His authority, He says, I've given it to you. The authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. Let's be clear, Jesus isn't giving them a proof text for snake handling. Jesus isn't saying you can do some of those crazy things that occur in places where people are trying to show their prowess and their faith. No, Jesus is saying, your authority comes from Me. Your power in protection is found in Me. See, what Jesus is really saying is, you shouldn't be surprised. I told you I was sending you out as, as little lambs to the slaughter, but I would protect you. You shouldn't be surprised. I told you that you weren't to take any money with you or even any extra pair of shoes. I would provide for you. For it's in me that you have your protection. It's in me that you have your provision. Me, Jesus is stressing. Jesus is saying, don't you know who I am? Don't you understand why I've come? I think it's really here that Jesus is reflecting on all the Old Testament. That these individuals had learned and been taught about who Jesus is going back to the very first mention of Him, that He would be the one who would crush the head of the serpent. Should they be surprised that the demons obeyed? Should they be surprised that they had this power in Him? But church, how often our celebrations fall short. 
How often we miss the mark. We ignore the real source of the one who should be celebrated. Too often we give the celebration of a church revitalization to a man rather than to God. Too often we pat others on the back for their successes and abilities and talents and gifts rather than giving praise where praise is due to Jesus. May we never forget that Jesus is the victor. And may we never forget that Jesus is the hope. May we never forget that Jesus is to be celebrated above all because Jesus is the victorious one. Our victories are found in Him. Friends, understand that this was understood even in the Old Testament, that God was the Creator. God was the Sustainer. God was, in fact, the Redeemer. Listen to the psalmist in Psalm 33. He says, The war horse is a false hope for salvation. Now back in those days, a war horse was like a tank. It was an advantage that your army had over any other army. But the psalmist is saying a war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. And listen, our souls wait for the Lord. He is our help. He is our shield. Hear what the psalmist is doing? Don't misplace your celebration. Don't don't misplace your hope. Let your eyes be fixed on Jesus. We can do this as we fall into ways of hoping that our businesses will be successful because of, of a certain hire or a certain investment. We can hope this in in politics, that if we just get the right politician in office, everything will be fixed. But Jesus is saying, I'm your hope. I'm the one you need. And here we see both in this example of the psalm and in this example through Christ to the 72 that we need to know where our hope and victory is truly found. In Jesus. So church, I ask you, Do you know the source of your victory? And do you know the source of your hope? And is that source Jesus? Is the reason you celebrate Christ? He needs to be. For all praise is due His name. As we continue to walk through this story, we come to verse 20. And notice what Jesus does here in verse 20. He reorders their rejoicing. Listen to verse 20. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name is written in heaven. Jesus is saying, don't celebrate the fact that you had a, a little victory over some demons. Have victory that you're known by God. Have celebration and joy that that your assurance of your salvation is given. See, church, too often we celebrate the wrong things and Jesus wants to reorder our rejoicing. Rather, Jesus is saying, your names are written in heaven. That's what should be celebrated. And Jesus is pointing to the 72 and saying, this is where real rejoicing is found. The joy shouldn't be simply that wonderful works were done, 
but that we have absolute assurance of our salvation. Why? Our names are written in heaven. Ralph Davis, a commentator, he says, their primary joy should not be in the power that Jesus gave them or in the success of their mission, but their primary joy should be in knowing that their names are written by the finger of God. That God owns them. That God loves them. That God is caring for their deepest, darkest needs. See, what this text does in verse 20, it forces us to ask the question, do we really understand salvation? Many of us have grown up around the church or the things of the gospel and we've become very accustomed to hear about one dying on the cross for the sins of the world. We're very comfortable with that, but do we understand the richness and the blessing of that? Do we understand that those whose names are written in heaven, they will not be judged for their sin? All of the filthy, wicked things we do will not be held against us because Christ has washed us clean. And do we understand those of us whose name is written in heaven that we will spend eternity in the glory of God? There will be no darkness, no loneliness, no anxiety, no depression, no sadness, but absolute perfect Joy, for that's all we shall know. Perfect joy, no sorrow, no tears, no death. This is the blessing of heaven. This is the blessing of knowing that your names are written in heaven. This is what should be celebrated. This is what should bring joy to our souls. Our rejoicing should not be in the power or strength we might display, but our rejoicing should be in the grace and the mercy we've received. Our joy shouldn't be simply in our successes, but in our forgiveness, in the grace we've been shown, in the assurance of love we have, because our names are written in heaven. Friends, one of the greatest gifts a child gets is a hug from his mom. And let me tell you how special those hugs are because as a little boy, I loved to be hugged by my mom. Now, as a teenager, not so much. But as a little boy, I loved hugs from mom. I would be playing on the floor with my cars and my toys and I'd look it up and I'd just see her sitting there and I just want to go snuggle with her. I just want to be near her. But you know what was the most special hug? It wasn't when I was obeying. It was when I was disobeying. It was in the moment when my life wasn't in order. It was when I was being chastised or dis, you know, disciplined, and she would still hug me. Those were the most special hugs. Even as a teenager, those were the most special hugs. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying should be celebrated by the church. Not the powers, not the wonders, not the fact that the demons obey your voice, but that God loves you. 
He wraps his arms around sinners and says, I've saved you. Your name is written in heaven. This should be where our greatest joy is, our greatest hope is, our greatest celebrations are found because Jesus has made our salvation possible. See, Jesus is pointing them out and reminding them all that Jesus has done for them. His grace, His love is the reason they should celebrate. Church, our joy should be because of the eternal life we received. And do you know that when our joy is in eternal life, when our joy and our celebration is in the truth of the doctrine of salvation for sinners such as us, when our joy is found there, this keeps us from being discouraged from everything else life can throw at us. Because we understand we're loved. We're forgiven. We're saved. And it changes everything. That's the good news of the gospel. But too often, we simply celebrate what appears to be earning favor with God. The gifts, the talents, the abilities. Rather than simply celebrating the favor we've received from God. Church, how true that is in all of our lives. How often we celebrate what appears to be earning favor with God. Rather than simply celebrating the favor we've received from God. So church, how busy are you celebrating the grace and the mercy God has lavished on you? How busy and how consumed are you with celebrating Jesus' salvation for sinners? Friends, the good news of the gospel is that grace is given, not earned. One of the most amazing things about this text, though, is the fact that Jesus rejoiced. And draw your eyes to verse 21. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Notice what Jesus is doing. Jesus is showing what should really be celebrated. The fact that there is spiritual understanding of the truth of the gospel. Jesus is breaking forth in praise. He's saying, I thank you, Father. What does he thank him for? For his gracious will. His gracious will is a tied to spiritual understanding. In verse 20 he says, I celebrate the fact that those things that the wise men can't make sense of, children can. Because you are the revealer, Lord. You are the one who makes these truths known. He goes on in verse 22 to say, for only the Father knows the Son, and only the Son knows the Father. He's talking about an interpersonal, deep, relational understanding of one another. A walking, not just a head understanding of things about God, but to actually be intimate with God. To trust God, to walk with God, to love Him. And he goes on to say, and this is the knowledge 
that others have. But it's only because the Son chooses to reveal it to them. It's grace. The reason people come to faith isn't because some are smarter than others. It's because of the grace of God. Paul picks up on this as he talks about the role of Jesus in Colossians 1. He says things like, as he stresses Jesus, he stresses that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He talks about the fact that all things have been created by him and for him, and that Jesus rules over all. But then he says this, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Jesus... We really know God. In Jesus, we really have personal relationship with the Creator, the Sustainer, and the Redeemer. There's a theologian by the name of Michael Allen, and he says something that just really captured me this week. He said, In the face of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word, we see God shine all the way down deep into our hearts. In the face of Jesus Christ, the incarnate Word, we see God shine all the way deep down into our hearts. It is the presence of the Son by His Spirit that makes this blessing known. Grace. God's grace that God would extend this grace to sinners is absolutely amazing. We're not neutral. We're enemies of God, Scripture says. We're protesters. We're violent. We're rioters against God's kingdom. And yet, His truth breaks in through the person and work of Christ in our lives. And we put down our weapons of anger and we embrace his forgiveness with tears. Friends, that's the grace of the gospel. As the word and spirit break in on us. And notice what he says in verses 23 through 24. He's basically saying, you're blessed. You're blessed because you have eyes to see and you have ears to hear. He goes on to say in verse 24, many prophets and kings desire to see what you see, but they do not see it. They desire to hear what you hear, but they do not hear it. So if you do have eyes to see, and if you do have ears to hear, it's the grace and the love and the mercy of God given to us who are sinful. So church, I ask you, are you truly rejoicing in the blessing of knowing Christ? If not, you should be. It's the greatest blessing of all. The problem is how often our celebrations are short-sighted. How often our rejoicing needs reordering. How often we undervalue the grace we've been granted. Phil Reichen tells an amazing story 
It's a story of a famous preacher by the name of Martin Lloyd-Jones. Martin Lloyd-Jones was at Westminster uh, Cathedral, and he would fill a, a huge room for people just to hear his voice. As his life became to draw near to an end, he was able to do less and less speaking, less and less writing, so that finally he was just really propped up by some pillows and every once in a while would do some sort of correspondence. One of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones' dearest friends came to his bedside and asked him this question. He said, Sir, how are you coping now that your ministry is so limited? Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones looked him square in the eyes and said, We are not to rejoice that demons are subject to us in the name of Christ, but we are to rejoice that our names are written in heaven. Lloyd-Jones looked at the man and said, Therefore, I am perfectly content. Friends, what about you? Whatever life is throwing at you, whatever difficulties are assailing your way, you can have joy because your salvation is secure in heaven. You can celebrate because of the grace of God. Cling to Jesus. Celebrate Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles and as we step away from this text, I pray, Lord, that we would see the wonderful good news of salvation. Lord, it's an amazing thing to, to think that we've been given gifts and abilities, talents to be used for the kingdom. But Lord, so often we celebrate those thinking that they're in some way earning us favor with you, all the while missing that salvation has already been granted. Favor has already been given. Not because of who we are, but because of the compassion, the love, the mercy and grace of Christ. May we cling to Christ May we love him. May we be so filled with joy in Jesus that whatever comes our way, we would be content. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.